So this morning, I've entitled the message, Seeking His Face. And I sat as I was preparing this, I went through a a bunch of different titles that I wanted to use for it. Seeking His face, seeking His presence, pressing into God. All these different ideas that kind of encompass what we're going to be talking about this morning. But the reason why I finally settled on seeking His face instead of seeking His presence is because if you look in the Old Testament, every time uh, that you see the Hebrew word that's typically translated to presence, it's actually the Hebrew word for face. So in the Old Testament, when it says seeking his presence, it could be more literally translated to seeking his face. And the reason why this is important is because I think that that even though we typically mean the same thing when we say seeking his presence and seeking his face, there's actually a subtle difference that I think is a very important difference. I mean, know that it's possible to be in someone's presence, but not interact with them at all. You can be, you know, there's been times when, when uh, I've been in the, at home and I'm in the presence of my, my wife and she's in my presence, but we're in different rooms and we're doing different things. And it's funny because I actually enjoy that. I actually enjoy knowing she's just in the house with me. And I would prefer that. I, w- <laughs> I would prefer that to her being somewhere else. But when that happens... Even though I enjoy it, there's, there's no benefit to our relationship there. There's nothing happening. We're not communicating with one another. And there's actually so many times in our lives as we go throughout our day that we're in the presence of people, but we're not having any interaction with them at all. If you think about it, if you've ever ridden on public transportation, if you've ridden a, a bus or an airplane, you're just surrounded by people. You're in their presence, and you usually know that for sure because you get sick the next day because they're all coughing all over the place. But you're in their presence, but you've gained nothing except for maybe a cold. You don't know anything about them. You don't know their story. You guys didn't talk. And like I said, there's times that I've been home with my wife, and I know there's been times you've been home with your spouse or your kids, and you're in the, in the house with them, but you're not doing anything with them. You're in their presence, they're in yours, and there's no benefit to you or your kids. And I've even seen uh, people, I, mean, I think it's more of an, an older expression, but I've definitely seen it on TV, and I've heard it with older people. They'll say stuff uh, when somebody who's considered great or somebody who's considered to have a lot of clout or a high stature comes in, they'll turn to their kid and say, straighten up, you're in the presence of greatness. Anybody ever heard anything like that? So you're in the presence of greatness. But the thing is, that's of no benefit to anybody unless some of that greatness is imparted to the person that's there. You know, you can be in the presence of the, of the greatest painter in history, but if he doesn't share some of that knowledge, if you don't spend some time working with him, it's not just going to rub off on you. You know, it doesn't work by osmosis to have that kind of stuff trans- transferred to you. So the truth is that unless there's some sort of interaction, unless there's some sort of communication, unless there's some sort of talking or just being face-to-face, Minimal benefit is going to be received by anybody. That's why I've entitled it Seeking His Face and not Seeking His Presence. Even though usually when we say Seeking His Presence, that's what we mean. But it's because I think that we need to have as Christians face-to-face time with God. We need to seek His face, not just to be in, in His room, in the room with Him. 
When you're having face-to-face time with somebody, you're engaged with them. You're in their presence, but you're also interacting with them. You begin to be interested to hear what they have to say. You're listening and you're hearing what they have to say. You're reflecting back on that. You can be encouraged by them. And you can encourage them when you're actually having some face-to-face time. And you're building and strengthening the relationship that you're dealing with at that point. And I realize that the truth is that God is always with us. The Bible's pretty clear about that. One, the Bible says that God's omnipresent. He's everywhere present. God is always there. And even for Christians, in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And in that sense, we are always in the presence of God. But there is definitely a difference when you're interacting with Him. I know this morning, when we were in the prayer meeting, we're in the presence of God. Where two or more are gathered, there He is. But as we begin to pray to God, as we begin to interact with Him, the atmosphere in the room changed this morning. I was praying and I began to get goosebumps and I could feel the presence of God. But we were interacting with Him face to face. We were speaking to Him this morning. Even though we're always in His presence as believers, we need to make sure that we have that face time with God. We need to set that time apart. We need to be disciplined in our walk with Him to set time aside to spend with Him, to see Him face to face. And there's many ways to do this. And it's not going to be the same way for everybody. We can spend time with Him reading His Word and hearing what He has to say to us. We can spend time just in, in quiet, prayerful meditation listening for His voice. We can spend time in personal worship as a way to seek God. As well, there's so many different ways to spend time with Him. But today I want to take a look at what the Scripture has to say about seeking God, the importance of spending that real face-to-face time with Him, and the effects of trivializing and neglecting such an important part of our relationship with Him. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and get started. In Revelations 2, 2 through 4, it says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. If you go and look through the book of Revelation in, uh, in chapters 2 and 3, we actually see Jesus addressing the seven churches of Asia. And he begins to address the churches and what they've done and what they've accomplished. And, and in, I think in just about every case but one, he lists their accomplishments, but then goes, but this I have against you. And here he is addressing the church at Ephesus. And the first thing when I read this, it begins to look like a pretty good thing. I mean, Jesus is really complimenting them on what they've accomplished. He says, I I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. How many of those are good things? They are, they're, they're working for the kingdom of heaven. They're being patient and endurance, waiting for what's to come. They're not being impatient. They're not acting like little children, but they're just pressing on, waiting for God to move. 
And even that, they are testing those who would come in and teach to make sure that they're in line with Scripture, to make sure that they're in line with the Word of God. And they're rejecting teaching that's false. And these are all great things. This is all stuff that I would hope that Jesus would say about me and our church and everyone here one day that, you know what, you guys were working hard. You were doing what I called you to do. And then he goes on to say, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. They're enduring patiently everything that comes against them. And they're also bearing up. They're being strengthened for the name of Jesus. And then it says they have not grown weary. The Bible says that we're not to grow weary in doing good, for in good time we will reap. And that's what this church was doing. This is exactly what this church was doing. But it doesn't stop there. You begin to read, and he talks about the good things they're doing. But then what does he say in verse 4? But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. The New Living Translation translates it like this. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You begin to see that they've lost their love for God. The New International Version says it this way. You have forsaken your first love. And in the Amplified Bible, it's one of my... uh, uh, Pastor Abe at the other church, he always uses the Amplified Bible. He says, it's like the regular Bible, only louder. But it says, you have left, and in parentheses it says abandoned, as it's amplifying on what these words say, it's expanding them. It says, you have left, abandoned the love that you had at first, and in brackets it says, you have deserted me, your first love. Speaking of God. You see, it seems that even though they were doing all the right things, they begin to get caught up in religion. They begin to get caught up in all their works and they had fallen away from the relationship part of our religion. Of our, our relationship with Christ is so important. But they call it a relationship because there has to be interacting. There has to be relationship. Now, this church right here has basically just been going through the motions. They've been doing all the right stuff on paper. They look so good. But they're missing something. They forgot why they started going through the motions in the first place. There's a story of a father and his young daughter who were very good friends and they did everything together. And then the father began to notice a small change in his daughter. He would ask her, hey, you want to go for a walk? And she would say, no, I'm going to excuse myself. And she would go inside. And every time he tried to spend time with his daughter... She always had something else that she was doing. And after about three months, his birthday came around, and she came in with this beautiful handmade gift. It was a pair of slippers that she handmade for him, and they were beautiful. And the father finally began to understand what was going on. Every time she excused herself, it's because she wanted to go and work on these slippers that she had made him for a gift. And he said to her, My darling, I like these slippers very much but next time would you just go ahead and buy the slippers and let me have all my days with you i would rather have my child than anything she can make for me you know god wants the same thing for us god would rather have our time with him than everything we can accomplish if we're pushing him off to the side now i'm not saying that these things aren't good things 
As a church, we're always going to be involved in some sort of works, but we do it as a natural result of the love that Christ has for us. We're going to always be doing things to reach the lost, doing these outreaches, doing ministering to people. This coming here, coming in the next month or so, Michelle's going to take the kids out to feed the homeless. We're always going to be doing these things. But the key thing is we can't forget our first love. We can't forget why we're doing them in the first place. Because God, like that father, is going to say, you know what, all that stuff's great, but I'd rather you spend time with me. When you neglect spending time with him for programs and works and all these things, and we've missed the point. We were built to be in a relationship with him. And Jesus actually gave a pretty similar message when he was living on earth. He said this to his disciples in Matthew seven twenty one through 23. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On the day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You know, there. It is absolutely impossible or possible, it's possible for people to be doing all the right things, to be looking good on paper. You from the outside locking in, they're they're like the greatest super Christians you've ever seen. But they've forgotten their relationship with Jesus. It is perfectly possible to look good on paper, but to not actually have the goods. And that's why this morning as we look through these things, it's so important that we take that time to develop our relationship with Christ, to spend time with God face to face. Then in Revelations three fifteen through 16, he's speaking to one of the other churches here. And uh, he says, I know, in Revelations three fifteen through 16, he says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were either hot or either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So he's speaking right now to the church of Laodicea, and he says that they're neither hot nor cold. Basically, what Jesus is telling these people is they've lost all of their passion. They've lost all of their passion for Christ, for God, for serving his kingdom. And they're not committing gross sins. They're not doing anything terribly wrong. If you were from the outside looking in, they would look like they're, they're doing pretty good. But still, what they're doing, even though they're not committing any gross sins, they're just kind of chugging along with no passion, is enough for Jesus to say that I will spit you out of my mouth. Other uh, commentators have said that the words being used here is, is kind of like Jesus retching out of his mouth, almost throwing up, spitting him out violently. It's not just like, a, you know, you don't taste good or something. I mean, it's, it's a violent ex- expulsion of, of them from his mouth. And they're not even doing anything terribly wrong. If we would look at it from the outside, it probably encompasses many of the churches that are going on in the United States right now. They're just doing their day-in and day-out stuff. They've basically become complacent and they've lost their sense of fear and their sense of awe for God. Now I know it probably never happened to anybody else in this room, but I know in my personal life I begin to see myself slip into this kind of attitude when I stop seeking the face of the Lord. 
Because complacency in my own life will begin to rob me of, of passion. And see, the problem with being in this particular state is that once you get into it, it's actually really hard to break out of it. Because it kind of just feels like you're okay. You feel like you're kind of doing the right thing. We have a tendency to think when we're being complacent that everything's going okay, we're on the right track. Nothing could be wrong. So it's very hard to, to be spurred to move into the right, to the right direction. The problem is, is this is not a life that's pleasing to God. Because it's not a life that's trusting Him. It's a life that's just moving forward and, and walking along like nothing's going to happen, nothing's going wrong. It's actually why it's, it's so much easier to lead people to the Lord that have hit rock bottom. They recognize that they've got nowhere else to go. They, they've tried it themselves. They've done everything they could and it's failed. And they finally have come to a point where they'll yield their, their life to God because they're willing to try anything because what they've done hasn't been working. And they'll finally yield their life to God because they're on the opposite end of the spectrum. They're really cold at that point and they can be touched. But people that are living their life and everything's going pretty good, nothing's great, nothing's bad. You know, they, they're fed, they got a place to live, their job's okay, the kids are okay, everything's okay. They have no reason to move from that area of comfort, that area of complacency. You'll notice that when you speak to people like that, it's actually hard to move them in any direction because they're just good. They're lukewarm, they're moving along. And it's the same way in Christians' lives too. We get to a point of complacency where everything's just going okay, everything's just going fine. And we just sit there. That's why there's people that have gone to church you know, 30, 40 years their whole life and never led a person to the Lord. They've just come in on Sunday and enjoyed a seat, went there for entertainment, and they feel like, I'm, going, I'm doing the right thing. I'm going to church. I'm praying. You know, I'm doing all these right things. And nothing has been accomplished because they've become complacent. And they're very difficult to work with. That's why Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or be cold, be passionate in one way or the other. I don't know if you've, if you've been a Christian for a while, you may have had experience with people that have been vehemently against what God wants to do. They're just so against God, they either, they either hate Him or believe He doesn't exist, and they press against Him. But when they finally get turned over to the Lord, their passion just flips sides, and now they're that as passionate as they were against Him for Him. That's what God is looking for, people that are passionate, that love Him, that are not just complacent. And I think what happens when we become complacent is we stop seeking God because why should we? Everything's just going kind of fine. You know, when I look at what Jesus has been says to the seven churches, I'm just reminded how easily it is to quickly slip into places and attitudes that we don't want to be in if we're not intentional on how we live. And we need to be intentional about spending time with Him. In Psalm, 1, or in Psalm 10, verse 4, it says, In the pride of His face, the wicked does not seek Him. All His thoughts are, there is no God. Now, to be clear, this scripture wasn't written to believers. This is written to unbelievers. It's talking about the, the pride of His face, the wicked does not seek Him. All His thoughts are, there is no God. But I still think that we can look at an important lesson that's what's actually happening in this scripture. As Christians, 
even if it's unintentional, we can begin to have this prideful attitude, even if we don't even realize that we're doing it. Because basically, when you don't spend time with God, when you don't seek out His face for His instruction or His wisdom or just His companionship, you're basically saying, don't worry, God, I got this. It's an attitude of pride. You're basically telling God that I don't need you. I can just do this on my own. And that's something that I found myself slipping into, this type of attitude, not intentionally. But when things are just moving around and everything is okay, when things are just going, I find myself going, like I said, not intentionally, but I I find myself in a situation where I'm not seeking the Lord because, well, you know, when things are going great, it's easy to just praise God and everything is awesome. And when things are going really, really bad, yeah, we all cry out to God then, Lord, please help. But when things are just okay, Man, it's so easy to just go, I don't need you right now, God. When things are going really great, I'll, let, I'll tell you thanks. And when things are bad, I'll, I'll bring you back into my life. But right now, I got this. And we don't realize it, but that's incredibly egotistical to tell God that you can go and do things on your own. Now, I can assure you that in all these situations, I've never thought there is no God. Even in my complacency, I've never thought there is no God. And that's why I said the scripture is written more to unbelievers, but I think the principle still applies to us as Christians. And I'm sure that anybody in this room that's fallen into this situation has never thought that way either. But the problem with this attitude, this attitude of pride, is because an attitude of pride doesn't seek God because the attitude of pride can do it on its own. An attitude of pride does not speak to God because it doesn't need advice or guidance. And the truth is, most of us don't even realize we're doing it. It just You just kind of, the slippery slope, you kind of slide into it. You look up one day and you're like, how the heck did I get here? And usually when you realize that, it's because after a while, things start slowly going downhill. Because when you don't trust God, when you don't let Him into your life, it makes it difficult for Him to work in your life. We don't feel prideful, but our actions paint a completely different picture. So it doesn't matter what season that we're in in our life, whether it's times of turmoil or times of rejoicing or times where life is just marching on. We need to be in the presence of God and we need to spend time seeking His face, especially if we want things to continue going in a good direction because as we push God out, as we don't let Him in, when he tries to, to enter in, he's standing at the door knocking, and we say, just give us a moment, we'll get this figured out. It makes it difficult for God to work in your life. So we've just looked at a few scriptures that talk about the, the direness of not actually having a relationship with God, just going through the motions, and how dangerous that can be for a believer. But I thank God that it doesn't end there for the believer. The scriptures are here to teach us. They're here to show us not only the wrong way, but the right way to do things. They're here to to teach us what to do and not only that, how to do it. And if we look at 1 Chronicles 16.11, it says, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. This is actually uh, uh, one of David's songs. You can also find the, the whole song not only in the book of Chronicles, but you can find it in the Psalms as well, Psalm 105 is this very song that David is singing. But inside of it, it says, Seek the Lord in His strength 
and seek His presence continually. And we're going to find that this same truth is not only found in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, you'll find the same thing as well. In Colossians 3, 1-2, through 2, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Have you guys been raised with Christ? If you're born again, you have. And we're instructed to seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. We need to be seeking God. And you'll find the same message in the New Testament. You'll find the same message in the Old Testament. But we need to spend time seeking His face. And the truth is, it's not because God's egotistical and somehow we're pumping Him up when we go to spend time with Him. The truth is that we personally derive great benefit from spending time with God. If you look at this first one, it says if we seek the Lord and His strength, we receive strength when we spend time with God. Are you feeling weak? Are you feeling like you can't do something? Set us some time aside to just spend time with God and draw on His strength in your life. As we were praying this morning, I was reminded of, of the Scripture of Paul, of Paul when he was talking about the weaknesses in his life. And he said, you know what? I, give, I thank God for my weaknesses because when I am weak, then I am strong. And what he's trying to say is, is the reason why when I am weak I am strong is not because automatically I somehow get stronger in my weaknesses, because in those areas I trust God and God works through me and God is powerful. God is strong and He will give you His strength to accomplish whatever He would like you to accomplish. In Psalm 118.14 it says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Other translations, you've probably heard it, the Lord is my strength and shield. But the point is, is that when we seek God, we are strengthened and we are protected. And David encourages us to do it continually. Because when you're in the presence of God, you're seeking His strength. You are strong in Him. You are protected in Him. But the opposite is true. When we press God away from us, when we push Him out the door, we become weakened because we aren't allowing Him to be active in our life. We're not allowing Him to work in our life. And then in Colossians, Paul says that we need to seek things that are above. We need to keep our eyes towards the heaven, looking at God at all times. On the Lord and His kingdom, keep our eyes. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and keep God at the center of our thoughts. If you jump forward a couple of verses in Colossians 3, verse 4, this is where it talks about the benefit of that. He says, when Christ, in Colossians 3, verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. We are glorified in trusting God and spending time with Him. And like I said earlier, we can actually seek the Lord in many different ways. It's not the same for everyone. Some ways are more effective than others. I heard a story, uh, uh, Pastor Andy Elms was telling this story about, uh, I think it was Moody, Dwight Moody used to get up in the, at like 3 o'clock in the morning and have communion with God every single morning. He would break bed, pour the, the cup of wine, and he would have communion with God every morning. And Pastor Andy goes, man, I read, I read that he did that, and I thought that was amazing. And he said, so I decided I was going to do the same thing that he was doing. And forgive me if it's not Moody, that's just who popped in my head. 
But uh, he says, I'm going to do the same thing he was doing. He says, so I got up the next morning at 3 o'clock in the morning, dragged myself out of bed, and I poured the wine, and I broke bread, and I had communion with God, and it was awesome. It was just amazing. And then the next morning rolled around, the alarm clock went off, and I didn't get up. And then I just felt terrible. I felt awful that I had somehow missed this time with God. So, But then I came to realize that it doesn't have to be the same for everybody. If you're not a person that gets up at 3 in the morning, then find a different way, a different time to spend time with God. But set the time aside. You guys have heard me say many times that if I don't get up and do it in the morning, many times, it basically means it's not going to get done. But I spoke to other people here who said that the morning's just not happening, so they do it before they go to bed. But either way, is so much better than never spending any time with God at all. And there's different ways that you can do it as well. You can, you can pray. You can sing to Him. You can read His Word. I don't really think the specific way is all that important as long as you're seeking His face, time with Him. But we really need to be careful that we're not making it a ritual instead of an actual relationship. It wasn't too long ago that I found myself getting up every morning like I do and I was, I had a, a spell where I was just not being good at it. I was just not being consistent. And I knew, looking at my life, that, that things were, were different. And I'm like, you know what? It's because I'm not spending time with God. So then I began to get up every morning and spend time in my Word. And, and I would pray and, and I would go through these motions. But then after a while, I began to realize that nothing was changing. And I, I didn't understand. I couldn't figure out why isn't anything changing. I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. Obviously, I'm, I'm pastoring the church. So I'm at church every Sunday and I'm getting up and I'm praying every morning and I'm reading my Bible and I'm doing all these things. God, I'm doing everything right. Why is nothing changing? And I, I came to realize that it had become ritual. It had become just something I was doing. I, I wasn't seeking the Lord. I was checking off my spiritual checklist. Even though those were the things, that's, those are the ways that I seek God. I, I pray with Him. I, I read my Bible to hear His, Those are the ways that I seek His face. I wasn't actually doing it. And I, I don't think that I would be shocked to hear that this has happened to other people in this room as well. But I know for me, you know, that's the, that's the funny thing is, is when you hear a pastor preach on something, about 95% of the time it's something that God's working on him with. You know, and God's been really pressing on to me to press into him, to seek into him, to spend time studying his word. And, and, and really, I, I found that uh, uh, the last week or so I've been going to bed about an hour early and just laying in bed reading different books. They're not even the Bible, but they're, they're books about God and his presence. And I've been seeking him even in that way as I, I look to learn more about Him and hear His voice through the Scriptures these, these teachers are using and just setting time aside. But the difference is, is that I'm not just going through the motions, I'm actually seeking His face. And you know what the best part is? He always shows up. Not once have I went to say, God, here I am, that I had to look around for Him, wonder where He was. He's always been there. I don't want to be a person who's just going through the motions. 
I know that when we earnestly seek God and keep our eyes on Him, we will grow closer to Him. And we are going to receive great benefits, not only in this world, but also in the next. Amen? In John four twenty three through 24 it says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. God is looking for true worshipers. And on top of that, it says that God is actually seeking us. He's seeking people that want to spend some face time with Him in true worship. He's not looking for lip service. But He's looking for those who would earnestly seek Him and come to Him. You see, to worship in, in truth is to worship God through Jesus. To realize that Jesus is the truth and to worship an understanding of what He did and the price that He paid. That's worshiping in truth, understanding that Jesus accomplished it all. And to worship in spirit is to worship in the new realm in which God has revealed to you, to his people. The understanding that you've been given a new life, a life-giving spirit. You know, you can't worship in spirit if you're not saved. But the thing is, is God is looking for those people that that believe He is who He says He is, that believe He's done what He said He's done, that believe that Jesus has given a new spirit inside of them, and because of that, they want to seek His face. God's not looking for people that are just looking for a job. I've seen uh, stories about uh, uh, people that have gone into to ministry, to seminary and stuff, and when they come out, they're just looking for a job. I heard a story of one uh, prominent uh, uh, seminarian. I don't uh, so long ago that I heard this. I don't remember which one it was. But the guy that ran it would interview every student who came in. And one of the kids came in and, and the, the, the man said, what is it that you believe? And the kid looked at him and said, I'll believe whatever you want me to believe. And then they kicked him out of the school. The, the problem wasn't if they had beliefs that were slightly different than theirs, but the fact that this kid didn't even have any. That wasn't someone that was that was seeking God in spirit and in truth. It wasn't somebody that, it was just lip service. He was looking for a job. He was looking to fit in or whatever reason. And that's not what God wants. God wants people that want to touch him, that want to know him. And the greatest part about it is, is that we are blessed so amazingly when we spend that time with him. To do either of these things, to worship in spirit, to worship in truth, that requires a real relationship with God. To worship God is to honor His worth, to draw near to Him, and to give Him the glory and honor that He deserves. So let's be people that worship like that, that press in like that. And here we're going to see Jesus, times in Jesus' life, who, who is our perfect example. Jesus is perfect theology. And in Luke five fifteen through 16 it says, But now even more, the re- but now... But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And in Luke 22, 39-41, it says, And he came out and went, as was his custom, 
to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Like I said, Jesus is our example in this. Of all the people that have ever lived in this world that could stand on their own, Jesus would have been it. Of all the people that could say, don't worry about me, God, I got this, Jesus would have been it. However, you never see Jesus doing that. He went out often to seek his Father's face, to spend time face-to-face with God. Even in all he was accomplishing, all the healing, the casting out demons, even in all this, he still set aside time to spend time with his Father. And we ought to follow in his example and do the exact same thing. And in Luke, we see that this actually wasn't a one-off thing. Actually, if you read through the Gospels, you'll see that multiple times it talks about Jesus getting away to pray. And then in Luke, it actually says that he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And what was he doing there? It says that he withdrew from about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed. It was his custom to go out to this mountain and spend time away from the crowds, away from it, and just spend time with his Father. Even his closest disciples... He left away from them to spend one-on-one time with God. You know, coming to church on Sunday and spending some time with God, that's a great thing. It's an awesome time. And it's so important that we do that. But if that's the only time that you're, you're, you're spending time with God, then, then a change has got to be made. You've got you to seek Him outside. Get away. Spend some time just talking to Him. Reading His Word. Listening to what He has to say to you. You know, we see other examples in his ministry that, that Jesus knew his Father very well as well. In John five nineteen through 20, it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. You know, in order for Jesus to see what the Father was doing, he had to be spending some time with him. He had to be hearing from his Father. He had to be talking to him to know what was going on. And the exact same thing is true for us. If we want to know what God wants for our life, you're going to have to talk to him. You're going to have to ask him. If you want to know what His will is for your life, spend some time in His Word and let Him speak to you through His Word. If you want to wonder, if you want to know, am I really clean? Am I really good enough? Am I really perfect? He'll tell you right in His Word that what Jesus accomplished was more than enough. And then the Scripture says that the Spirit will testify with your spirit. The Holy Spirit will speak to you and testify with your spirit that it's true. But that will never happen if we don't seek that face time with God. If we don't set the time aside to seek His face. In Hebrews eleven six, we find out that He rewards those who seek Him. In Hebrews eleven six, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. There's a couple of important things in this verse. And one is that without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
our religious ceremony, our going through the motions is just not going to cut it. We actually have to do this stuff from a sincere heart. Not doing anything bad or not sinning is not what's pleasing to God. Trusting Him is what's pleasing to God. You can live the perfect life and never make a mistake if you don't trust God, if you don't place your faith faith in Him. It's not going to please Him. But you can live your life making mistake after mistake, falling down over and over, as long as you get back up and trust God, you'll be pleasing to Him. We must believe that He is who He says He is and that He'll do what He says He'll do. But what I really wanted to point out in this scripture is that we must also, it says that we must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. First, we need to know that if He rewards it, it's something that He desires. God wants us to seek Him out and He's going to reward you for doing so. And second, just part of operating in faith is seeking Him out. All through our walk with Him, we should desire to be drawing near to Him. And we should desire to seek Him, to know Him more because we believe He is who He says He is and He'll do what He says He'll do. God's a pretty awesome person to know. God restored man to the position that He had, that He held in the garden. When, when God made Adam, Adam was perfect. He had no past. He had no history. He had never sinned. And when Jesus died on the cross, that's what He did for us. He took our old life and threw it away and gave us a brand new life inside of us. And we're back to that position like Adam was in the garden. We have no past. We have no history. We have no sin. And we were created for one thing, to be in fellowship with God. That's why God created man, was to be in fellowship with Him. God would walk the garden with Adam and they would, they would interact with each other and talk. And it wasn't until Adam ate from that tree that he began to hide from God. And even then, God still was seeking after Adam. This is what man was designed to do. And when the unbeliever now seeks God and places his faith in Him, he's rewarded with salvation. And as we continue to seek God, we're rewarded with fellowship with Him. We're rewarded with internal growth and we're rewarded with blessing in our life. Amen? And we'll end right here in First Chronicles 28.9. And it says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve Him with a whole heart, with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will cast you off forever. God is looking for people that will serve Him with their whole heart and a willing mind. God's not going to force you to do any of this stuff. God's the perfect gentleman. If you you push Him back out that door, He'll just stand at the door and knock, waiting for you to answer it again. He's not going to force Himself into your life. But He's looking for people that will serve Him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. He's looking for people that will seek Him out. Not those who want to serve under compulsion, but those who want to serve and know Him because it's their own heart's desire. The same is true for our giving 
in our worship and our fellowship with Him, not just our service of Him. We don't do these things because we feel that we must, but because we feel that we're crossing off that, that line in our spiritual checklist of the things we have to do. But we do them because we love Him and we appreciate all that He has done for us. And the best part about it is the Scripture says, if you seek Him, He will be found by you. Our God is not a God who's far off, who looks down at us in judgment and disappointment. He's a God who looks down at us, and not even looks down at us, but is with us. He lives inside of you when you've received Him as as your Lord and Savior. He walks with you. He's in fellowship with you. And He loves you with everything that He has. He loves you with all that He has. He's not like the Roman or the, the Greek gods who were up on their mountain looking down, trying to meddle and control. He's not like these other gods and other people's lives who are just waiting for people to mess up, to strike them down. And he's not a God that's so far off that he just doesn't care and has abandoned us. But he's a God who loved us so much that he gave his son that we could be made brand new, that we could be in fellowship with him, that we could know him and love him in return. So let's not be a people who become complacent in our doing. Let's be a people who consistently and constantly seek the Lord's face, desiring to be in a real relationship with Him. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet.